Hello, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast. Now, today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sider. I'm joined by my co-host, Brendan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at Sider, and you can follow Brendan on Twitter at BrendanClean14. You can follow our Locked On Suns Twitter account at LockedOnPHXSuns. We're joining our usual Wednesday episode. I know, Brendan, you just got back from Las Vegas last night. First off, how, how was that trip? Because I know you and Dave King record, record on Sunday for our Summer League special, but I'm back now for getting my thoughts alongside you. But how was Vegas? Vegas was good. It was really my first time. I mean, I, I've lived in Phoenix my whole life, but I've really only been like passing through. So obviously, I mean, most of my time was spent at the arena and whatever, but it was fun to just go. And like, it, I'm sure everybody's heard stories from all kinds of people by now, but you just walk around and you're like, oh, that's uh, like Costa Cufas was just like a couple uh, chairs down from my girlfriend and I at the one of the pools we were at one day, I saw tons of random NBA people. Just They're kind of just like all mixed in with the fans, which people who have gone to games, it's not like that. Even for us covering the games, we're not you know next to the athletes and stuff all throughout the, the night. So it's just a crazy experience, and it was cool to uh, see some fans on Friday night. Shouts to anybody who's listening who came out to our little Bright Side of the Sun gathering. That was pretty cool. There was way more people than I was expecting. And even in the arena, just tons of Suns fans, which is awesome to see. Hopefully, we're nearing the point where Summer League isn't the biggest event of the year for Phoenix fans. But, uh, yeah, it was cool. And uh, it was nice to see Aiton play professionally. That was a cool thing. Everybody was hyped. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to hear what you thought kind of on the outsider's perspective. Because, like I mentioned with Dave, uh, not always easy to actually like parse through what's going on in the game when there's so much chaos around you at the arena. Real quickly, because I went to Summer League last year, and just because of the Lonzo ball hype, it was insane with the Lakers fans and all that there. was How was like the total attendance there for like Suns, like Suns games? Was it pretty full like it was for like the Lonzo games last year, or not really to that capacity? Yeah, I would say the game Friday throughout the whole day Friday wasn't as busy, which is the, the day that I actually spent the most time at the arena. Um, just because I don't know if a lot of people had come in yet. But then Saturday, the whole city got crazier, and uh, especially because it was Bagley Dayton that night. And then immediately following the Suns game in the main arena was the Lakers game. I don't even know who those fans were showing up to see. I don't know why Mo Wagner and Josh Hart are like a draw like Lonzo is, but it didn't seem like it quieted down at all compared to last year there the lakers fans are probably half the arena even for the suns game before it so yeah no i think that's going to keep going even if they uh trade all their first round picks to appease lebron i think lakers fans at summer league is a an annual tradition at this point yeah it's really crazy like ever since summer league started i think like 15 or 20 years ago it's gotten bigger and bigger every single year to the point now it's televised and now there's everyone there it's really just fun and cool to see how it's developed but I guess we can just dive in now to the Phoenix Suns like what we do usually our takes from the summer league and I know from our last episode on Sunday I wasn't on there so I guess I'll start first with my initial thing and I'll start with DeAndre and and that's he's not impressing me like he's not dominating even though he's putting up box score stats which is really impressed to me he's averaging 16 points 11 rebounds on 66% shooting and I think that just a testament to how Igor Kokoshkov is putting him in the best positions possible to get the ball because he seems to not really be forcing anything. And he's also, he's just doing, not really selling for jumpers either. It's either post-ups or it's going toward the rim or getting set by a Kobo or a Shaq Harrison, which I think is really impressive on his part. But one underrated aspect that I've been kind of talking about the last few days on my Twitter account is that 
the gravity effect with DeAndre and it's something like kind of underrated coming into this year because right away it's probably just summer league bodies because he'll, he'll be going against other guys like not really guys like Jonathan Motley and stuff like that he'll be going against legit guys but it's really impressive to see like the amount of space that he ber- takes up on the court it's not like Shaquille O'Neal-esque gravity but it's like it's very noticeable right at right when you see him in the first five minutes yeah I would I would say uh you and, and David Nash on Twitter both have been ramming that point home. And I think it's it's definitely noticeable. And the same thing I said with Dave, too, about the guys he's going up against. I think guards, there's a lot more like anonymous nobody guards that probably will never make it to the NBA, really treating this like practice or an audition a long way down the line. For bigs, though, like there's really like NBA level guys. Motley's not going to be playing 30 minutes a game next year but that's a a name people are familiar with for the most part and um obviously against sacramento and orlando he's playing against first round picks lottery picks in some instances um harry giles and marvin bagley and then obviously muhammad bamba and jonathan isaac those are good players those are pretty much the same caliber of player he's at you know at least physically the the type of guy he's going to have to battle against so I think that it's been impressive to see him fly under the radar and really just do that that little stuff. I I've seen some better rim protection instincts too than I than I remember seeing. Again, I think you know that is where the the poor guard play comes into effect, where it's a lot easier to block uh, the shots of guys who are just trying to put up shots and get their bu- get their buckets to to you know pad their stats and whatever. But he's still doing it, and that was a problem against Pac-12 offenses he just wasn't really engaged on that end of the floor I think I have seen a little bit more there too so I mean to you is it better that he's been able to be effective without like seizing control of the offense or would you have rather seen him really just take control try to score not you know get out of get the offense out of rhythm but would you have rather the team kind of played through him more Uh, honestly I would have just because I want to see what he'd be like as a number one option but to be honest, I'm not really opposed to what they're doing because it seems like Kokoshkov is focusing more on just like insulating his system, how it's going to be in the regular season, which is heavy ball movement. And really, it's going to show that DeAndre is really not going to be the focal point of the offense. I still think Devin Booker is going to be that guy for the long term, and we'll get into his extension later on. We covered it on the last episode, but I think it's just really interesting that he's really not being used as a focal point, but yeah, he's... I, I tweeted, I think, a few days ago as well that he had like a 21-13 and 13 game, if I'm right on that, but he said... yeah. I think it was just crazy to me. It was a quiet 21-13. Like, right when you saw it, it was like, whoa, I didn't realize he got a 20-10 and 10 game right off the bat. Yeah, and on Saturday, too, similar thing. I think he had, like, 16 points that night. I just, yeah, it, it's it's impressive to me that he's, especially with talking about Saturday, how poor the playmaking and, and just offensive decision-making was. That was a putrid first half for the Suns on Saturday, couldn't make an entry pass. Nobody knew where to go with the ball. Um, that really was the the bad side of this roster. But if you imagine that Devin Booker is, is going to be the guy doing a lot of what Davon Reed and Shaq Harrison were trying to do in the first half that, that night, that's pretty exciting because, you know, there's way more dynamic possibilities with the ball in Booker's hands than uh, Shaq Harrison for sure. But, um I think, yeah, when it comes to Aiden, I mean, the thing I've been most impressed with is just that he's decisive and he, he, his finishing is, that's for real. I think you see it 
when he gets the ball in the post, which hasn't been super often like we talked about, but especially just lobs. If he's if he catches a pass within a couple feet of the rim, it's going to go in the basket. That's nice to see because it happened in college, but to just see it translate immediately, that NBA-ready body to actually be ready for the NBA, it's a good sign for what he'll be able to do this year. Okay, it might have been different in person, but when I watched the Orlando game on Monday, it was really noticeable to me that John, and Jonathan Isaac's really been standing out to me in summer league, but I've noticed like him on drives to the rim when Aiden's down there. It seems like his physically imposing body, like he's already, like you said, he's NBA ready, seven foot one, two hundred fifty five pounds of almost pure muscle. It seems like because there's no really body fat on him at all. But when you see like Isaac driving toward the rim and he Aiden stuffs him down, and then the next time down, Isaac tries to avoid the contact with them. It seems like like that just that physically imposing makeup of DeAndre is kind of getting in people's heads, and that really could help his defense long term. Yeah, I think it was even when you put Dragon Bender on the court next to him, that was interesting for me to watch just to see the fact that Bender is a little bit more mobile and obviously on offense can play on the perimeter. I think that could be a really interesting pairing, but you saw if both of those guys were in the paint like they were against Sacramento with Bagley and Giles, both, you know, neither one of those guys is a floor spacer. They had some pretty bad spacing when both of those guys were on the court together. Bender and Aiton being right around the rim on defense, there wasn't a lot of hope for the Kings. And I hope that that's something that can continue to get better. I mean, the defense overall, in my opinion, has been probably the, the real strong suit of this team. They have had some bad shooting nights, especially from behind the arc. Um, but that defense has been there, and I think it helps that they have guys who are going to be in the rotation next year whose strong suit is defense, whether that's Shaq Harrison. I don't know if he'll be in the rotation. He might not even be on the team, but Josh Jackson, Mikhail Bridges, Dragon Bender, even Aiton, um, who can play some, some defense, all those guys. That's really helpful, but it also just, you know, it really means that they're whomping some of these teams, and that's, I guess, why they have that 3-0 and record. I guess we can jump over now to another guy. We'll discuss most of the main rotation guys on today's podcast, but Josh Jackson's struggles have been really apparent to me. I know he's really overhauling his shot again right now, and it's kind of obvious when he every other shot seems like it's different rotation on it, different form, but he's shooting under 25% up from the field right now. I think it's 24.8%, 8.5% from three, which is awful to even say. But just what, what was your thoughts on Josh Jackson? Because to me, it just seems like he's reverting back to old habits. I don't know why. It's probably just because he's learning a new system. But it really looks like the Josh Jackson from the first three or four months of his rookie season. Yeah, it's tough to understand why he's doing that. I mean, it certainly doesn't help that he is one of the guys on the team with the most playmaking and creation talent. So, you know, he's not really been effective trying to do that. It's obvious now after watching him that he probably should have been playing more within himself and this team is operating pretty well within Kukushka's system. But I think it seems like watching him that he's really just trying to take control of things and, uh, you know, kind of be a superhero in some occasions when he's just gotten out in transition, attacked the rim. The same stuff we talked about all through last season, that's when he's looked best. But, you know, I think it, it, it doesn't bode well for the questions we – I mean, I think our last episode heading into Summer League, we were talking about what it would look like for Jackson to play within that system. And so far the returns aren't great. I think it's, 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 it's realistic to wonder what he, you know, what kind of value he's going to provide at this point early next season. You know, they have training camp that'll obviously help, but the, uh, the lost 
look that Jackson tends to have is is back a little bit, and that is worrisome. One one point on Jackson I want to bring up as well is that it just seems like he's sort of like we said he's rushing things a little bit. But do you think that he might be the guy that's like adjusting the most to his new role under Igor? Because I think Aiden's already shown he's not going to be ball dominant in Igor's system. He's fine passing out to to the shooters on the perimeter and stuff like that. Devin Booker we know is going to be the number one guy. Do you think Josh Jackson's going to struggle with maybe not taking ten to fifteen shots a game because it seems like. He still wants to do that, but in Igor's system, he should maybe be taking like seven to eight shots a game. Yeah, I think it was on the broadcast they were saying that a guy like Jackson through high school, through his one year at college, even last year when he really had a chance, it was against you know the, the G League-filled NBA that kind of comes up in March. He's been able to get to the rim and, and you know physically dominate his matchup throughout his entire life, so... I think that adjustment is still happening for him, and especially without the ball in his hands, which, he, he, you know, Kukushkov is going to have the ball touch everyone's hands pretty much every possession. That's probably going to help him, but it's still not going to be the type of thing where he's, like, running a pick and roll every time down the court or anything like that. So I think that adjustment's still happening for him, and it's going to continue to have to be a, a, a change on his part. He's not, especially if he's not going to be a, a dom dominant spot-up shooter, which he hasn't been, and it doesn't look like he will be anytime soon. I guess I should bring him up right now because I'm kind of falling in love with the prospects of this guy, but could Mikhail Burgess take a a significant chunk of Josh Jackson's minutes next year? Because when I watch Mikhail Burgess, he knows his role. He's a very good defender. That one play where he went for a charge and then went and like somehow made into a block shot was incredible to watch. I don't think many guys in the league can do that outside maybe Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant, for example, but what do you think about Mikael Burris? Because he's shooting 55% from three right now in summer league, which is really good. He's, his defense is averaging one and a half steals per 20 minutes. So I think he knows his role. It seems like Josh Jack is still struggling with his role. So I'll ask you, Brian, do you think that Mikael Burgess, if he keeps this up, he's going to take a chunk out of Josh Jack's minutes next year? I think it'll definitely be more balanced between those two guys. Um, you know, just Bridges being inserted into the onto the roster with that draft day trade, I think really – altered Jackson's expectations heading into next season. If they hadn't, even if they had just added Ariza and, and taken Aiton and then maybe like Zaire Smith or whoever, I think Jackson would have been in line for 30 something minutes a game. I would think he'd be really uh, right in the middle of a starter's load, but with Bridges coming in and, you know, he's clearly a better conceptual fit for what Kokushka is going to try to do. You think about like Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, Royce O'Neal, the past few years in Utah, those longer combo forward wing type guys who can just make smart plays and shoot. That's perfect for what Kukushkov wants to do. And Bridges fits that role perfectly. Whereas Jackson, like we just said, doesn't. So, you know, it's going to have to be, I think if, if Jackson comes out and plays the right way and does what's asked of him, he doesn't have to worry about anything. But if that adjustment period is slow for him, which it's been kind of a, you know, up and down throughout the course of his year and a half in in the NBA at this point, then, you know, he might be fighting for playing time much more than he was expecting. I think you're right. Now, I guess we can dive a little bit deeper on Bridges. What's your overall takeaways from watching Mikhail? I know you saw the two games in person and you saw the Orlando game on TV like I did, but it seems like Mikhail just stands out to the point where he's going to be the ideal glue type of guy where he he kind of balances the strengths and weaknesses of both Booker and Josh Jackson to the point where he's that perfect man on the court where he could play all three together and Burris could really cover for both those guys' deficiencies. 
Yeah, I think that's a perfect description. I mean, and then you add up the fact that they're paying uh, the best. Did you see on Twitter that Mikhail did a little like Q&A taking over the Suns Twitter account and said that the guy he modeled his game after was Ariza growing up? Yeah, yeah, it was really actually funny because he said that yeah. he said that after the press conference too to some media, which I, it's really cool in that sense that he gets to learn more tricks of the trade from the guy who grew up modeling his game after. Yeah, and I think all three, I mean, you could easily imagine those two plus Ariza plus Booker playing together even. And I, I think that flexibility is going to help all these guys where especially, I think, you know, the defense is, is overall one of my like bigger picture takeaways. Um, and then I would say that the, the spacing is my, my second one where Bridges obviously on, on Friday night against Dallas just went crazy. Um, that was awesome to see in his first game as a son, four of five from three. But, you know, even besides that, you have Davon Reed, if he, if he does indeed stay on the team, which I can't imagine he wouldn't at this point, that's going to help George King, who's, you know, maybe won't be with the NBA team all that often because he's on a two-way contract, but he looks like he's a, a com- comfortable, confident shooter. Elliot Kobo has some pull-up game. I think, you know, Bender's going to continue to play the role he played last year and hopefully can add some dynamic offense out of that. But there's just many more shooters on this team than there were last year. Uh, if, if health permits, they should have a more comfortable offense, and that's going to help Kukushka more than really anything else. Now, what's really interesting to me as well is that I saw Matt Moore at HP Basketball on Twitter yesterday. He tweeted a really interesting stat that was kind of just a dig at Carmelo Anthony a little bit of guys that played above 30 minutes per game that averaged less than two assists per game. But the only other guy on that list was TJ Warren, which kind of needs to tell you all I need to know about that. Yeah. So what do you think about just his fit in, in Igor's system? Because the more I watch Igor's system, by the way, I think Igor is the biggest winner of summer league for me because this offense and defense looks nothing like a Denver J. Trainer or Earl Watson, which is great to see. But do you think TJ Warren fits in this offense or defense, overall Igor's system at all? Because it seems like I know TJ scored 20 points per game last year, but he's not a passer. He's not, not a good shooter, not a good defender. So would you be surprised if he's still on the roster next year? It kind of seems like he will be. I, th- I think he's a candidate, at, obviously, just knowing what we know about the direction of the roster, the Suns' obvious um, hopes for landing some extra talent and free agency in 2019 and the fact that Brandon Knight or TJ Warren needs to be moved. Or, or there, There's other ways to get a little bit more creative with it, but those are the two easiest ways to get to max cap space next year. And to watch how the team has been playing, I mean, we talk about how Josh Jackson has been a little bit uncomfortable in the offense. I think a lot of those same problems occur for for Warren, and he has even less of a playmaking instinct and, than, than Jackson does. So, you know, he's not going to be able to space the floor, but it's also when you don't really necessarily look to pass that often and, um, you know, don't have a ton of other value, he's, you know, he's not posting up, he's just... He's very much a an, an ISO scorer. That that type of player doesn't really exist for any of the iterations of Kukushka's offense that we've seen over the last, you know, really any of the time he's been an actual head coaching candidate in the NBA. So it's tough to imagine what he'll what his role will be. And that's not to say he can't continue to get better. Maybe he, you know, really took this summer to get to get uh, comfortable with that shot and and really try to make it a part of his game. He did take a few more here and there at the end of last season, 
Um, he has the, the offensive intelligence to be a good passer. He just isn't really a willing passer. So he has avenues to get better. But if he comes out like and plays the way he did last year, I think he could easily get lost in the offense. Do you think that he might be a guy that plays more of like the four next year? Because we already talked about Jackson and Burrs. I know Burrs is going to be a two, three, but I know, and also I know McDonough mentioned on draft night, Burrs is more of a three, four. So trying to think about TJ's fit in the offense, do you think he's going to be more of like a, a post up four type of guy just is relied upon like, like he wasn't Triano's offense last year is to get screens down from eight and just run off cuts and get mid range jumpers. Yeah, I think something like that. I mean, if you imagine him playing off the bench, like, just quickly, like a lineup that would be like Elliot Kobo, Davon Reed, Mikhail Bridges, Marquise Chris, and TJ Warren. That's enough spacing. A Kobo would be, you know, another ball handler on the floor. That that's that could work. It's not like TJ Warren is just a useless player that, you know, has no avenue. And, and Kukushkov, part of being a good coach and, and a smart coach is adapting to your offensive talent. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, Utah, their system, you know, they – they never really developed players like TJ Warren. That doesn't mean he's a you know useless guy. If you have a guy like him on the floor who has that scoring potential, you gotta make it try to make it work at least. And that's why I don't think that they'll just dispose of him before the season just to clear, you know, rotation space. But I do think with the odd fit that he presents, it's you know, he's a guy that you, they have to be thinking about. Well, how does he fit with what we are building? And I don't, you know, as of right now, I'm not positive he does. No, I know Ryan McDonough said before, I think he said it again on the Summer League broadcast, I think, but he's mentioned a lot of times that the wing depth is not an issue, and we agree with that because it's more of a modern-day basketball. But when you think of Warren, Booker, Bridges, Jackson, maybe George King in there, Trevor Reza as well, that's actually a really good modern-day wing rotation as far as positionless basketball where they could play really three or four guys at one time. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how it shakes out with you know, who plays together, who plays when, even, you know, who starts. I don't think that's set in stone. I, I feel like Ariza will probably start. I mean, we're also not even mentioning Jared Dudley. I don't know how much he'll play. He didn't play a ton last year, but it is the last year of his contract. If he's looking to play longer, then he wants to, you know, put himself out there to earn some interest around the league, and maybe he gets, you know, healthy and and gets himself into great shape to enter the year I you know who knows with him and and that would be another guy that has a lot of talent that you're going to try to make room for if possible and so I don't think you know anyone necessarily starting is set in stone I don't think you know we necessarily know what a lot of these young players are going to look like so they could be different guys by the time the course of the season kind of starts to go along so I think it's exciting but it's also it's going to be a juggling act because you know it's not a bad thing to have a lot of wings, but it does mean that, you know, one night maybe this guy just doesn't fit what they're trying to do or, or you know, Davon Reed is four for five like he was on Friday night and they just don't, they don't need to play uh, Josh Jackson as much, you know, who knows? It, it's, it's really seems like through the, the camps they were having before this, this summer league and then in through the summer league that it's very much a competitive environment. And if you play well, then you're going to, um, you're going to get the time and you're going to get the opportunity. That's what's really exciting about Igor, I think, just because he's starting to win me over pretty easily, just his quotes and his comments. But let's hit on a couple more guys here before we end today's podcast. And we're going to end with Dragon Bender because I know you've had a little discussion with some bright side of some people in the comments section. It's been actually kind of entertaining. But before we go into that little discussion there, let's talk about Davon Reed, Elia Kobo, and Sha- Shaq Harrison. Those three guys have stood out to me. 
Davon Reed especially, because he seemed to be the, almost the best guy on the roster outside DeAndre and in summer league. Just what's your thoughts on him? Because it, it seems like both he and Shaq Harrison, and rightfully so, are, are looking like they're playing like for their jobs. Yeah, Shaq, Shaq has been, I think I've seen a sentiment on Twitter and just watching the games, seeing how, hearing, I guess, how excited the commentators are about him. I think he's been a guy that surprised a lot of people. I don't know how many national people or even Suns fans necessarily were watching games late in the year when Shaq Harrison got his opportunity. So, I mean, he's playing like he did in the NBA, and in that type of playing style, he's obviously going to have value. I just worry that he's not really a playmaker at all at this point. He can get into the lane, make a read. You know, he had some nice lobs to DeAndre Ayton after the defense was broken down, and he kind of attacked a closeout or... He just has a lot of speed to get into the lane and make plays. I just don't love – he doesn't really have – unless he's right at the rim and finishing, and even then, he just doesn't have a, a lot of scoring. You know, He's not strong enough. He's not doesn't have like a floater game or anything like that. It, he can score at the rim, and that's about it. And so that that's tough. It's a tough offensive fit, even with the on-ball defense he provides. And, you know, he was a steals machine at the end of last season. So it's a tough call. I think if I had to pick one of those guys, it would probably be Davon Reed. But, you know, that's, again, you're running into – we were just talking about the wing rotation is going to be a juggling act. If you add Davon Reed to that as well on a guaranteed deal, that's just another guy you have to kind of think through. I guess to with that point on Davon Reed, do you see any future for Troy Daniels on this roster anymore? Because I know he's a great shooter and all, but he's not a passer or a defender. And if they keep Davon Reed, I'd, be, I'd honestly be stunned. I know John Gambadoro said that they're using Davon Reed's playing time as sort of an audition to other NBA teams, but I just don't see that as a thing that's going to happen because he was almost a first-round pick, 32 overall. And then I, I just don't see how they would just take Troy Daniels over Davon Reed. But what, what, what's your read on that? Yeah, the, so, I mean, you think about Warren, Jackson, and Bridges, and Ariza. Those, are, those aren't really twos. They can play those guys at the two, but... I think those guys are going to be in the mix for the 3-4 range positionally. You you know, it's exciting. Maybe Bridges can play the two. Maybe Jackson can play the two. That starts to unlock some interesting stuff. But I think as a base rotation, you want guys like Reed who can and Daniels even who can play the two. Now, you can't really keep both of those guys and have Booker play at the two and have some of those forwards move down a position, It's it starts to get dicey. So I do think it's only going to be one of those guys. I mean, to me, like, I know Daniels is a really competitive guy. He's bounced around the league. It's unfortunate if he had to go through the season not playing, but he could be a buyout candidate by the end of the year because this is his last the last year of his contract. And, you know, the, the, a depth guy who's just a, a knockdown shooter isn't bad. I think that you could see them just go into the season with both of those players and have Daniels just, you know, be on the bench the majority of the time. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I think that maybe Daniels is kind of a guy at the trade deadline they can use as a trade chip alongside maybe a TJ Warren or something like that if they really want to go and get aggressive for a point guard of the future. But after watching Elia Kobo, I don't even know if that's the case anymore because that first game was really awesome to watch. And really every single passing he does is he has a lot of, like, pizzazz on his passes. Like, it's really entertaining to watch, like, him playmate because – I didn't see that at Pau Orthez really that much at all, even though he's been playing point guard for like 18 months now. But he seems to be rapidly developing his playmaking. That's really exciting for me. Yeah, he, he definitely has some style and flair to what he to how he plays. It's, you know, I think there was a couple times where he, 
I, I remember one specifically, he went behind the back um, and, and turned the ball over. And there was one time where he was trying to like save the ball that was going out of bounds and he like dribbled it through his legs and almost lost control of it. So it, that's the good and bad of a guy like that. Right. But I think it's, it's definitely fun to watch, but overall just the fact that he has that confidence and scoring ability already, and he looks like he's going to be able to play that kind of helps me not worry as much about the point guard position. If, if Brandon Knight is indeed as healthy as everyone seems to think he is and Okobo can handle some backup minutes, then maybe that position isn't as much of a black hole as it looked like. Yeah, I think it's interesting also because it seems like Okobo actually has some defensive acumen to him. Maybe it's just trying his hardest under Igor right now, but his length and his actual like thick frame is he could develop into a guy that's not a sieve on defense at all. Yeah, he's a he's a bigger point guard, and I think that that's one of the things Pat Connolly said after his workout. He's like, you know, he he's not a defensive stopper by any means right now, but you look at him and you you watch how he plays, and he has the size and and mobility to become a good defender. So I think that's definitely part of their plan with him, and part of the reason that they were attracted to him. So hopefully it, it works out. I mean, I wasn't expecting him to to look this good on offense right away. So if he really is growing as rapidly as it looks like just like you said, having started to play point guard within the last season or so overseas, then, you know, maybe maybe that's just he's going to continue to get better and the defense will come. Now I'm continuing to kick myself a little bit because Daryl Morey has a steal on his hands with DeAnthony Mellon going 46th overall. But I don't understand. And Mitchell Robinson, both of those guys, we, we knew on draft night that they, the teams were stupid for passing up on them. And, and look, now they're playing well. Who would have expected? No, it's it's really crazy because I think Mellon almost had a triple-double a night or two against SGA. But we've always talked about these Booker fits. So I don't think we ever talked about them on the podcast before. I think we talked about it like in, in person with each other. But What's your thoughts on a Kobo long-term as a Booker-compatible fit? I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he needs to get better on defense if that's going to really be a solid pairing long-term, or he needs to be just incredible on offense. But I think he has, like we just talked about, he has the tools to be a solid defensive player. So um, I think it's the benefit of getting a really young, raw player like that um, is that you can you bring them into an NBA system, one that, like we just talked about, is becoming very competitive amongst the top players. And uh, Brandon Knight, a veteran in there with him, and even Troy Daniels, a veteran in there with him. Those guys are hopefully going to have a good impact. And if Okobo can grow into the type of player he physically looks like he could be, and that offense stays where it already looks like it's headed, I think that's a, a really solid player, a decently low usage guy. Um, you know, who's going to work on defense and knock down shots. I think that's that's pretty solid. And he has a ton of playmaking upside, like we were talking about with that uh, flair that, that he's already showing. Yeah, Okobo's really excited me. I think he's one of the guys who could really be a gem in a few years down the line. Once Brandon Knight's contract expires, he could slide into that role if he develops well. But we're going to end today's podcast on one guy who's been the most polarizing guy at Summer League so far, and that's Dragon Bender. His third summer league so far, he's had his ups and downs. His first two games, he had more turnovers than points, eight turnovers, five total points. But against Orlando, he kind of had a not a breakout game, but like a, a serviceable game for a guy in his role that he's going to have on the NBA level. I think it was 11 points, seven rebounds, and a block, but three of six from three as well. So what was your thoughts on Bender? Because I know you had a story on Bright Side of the Sun yesterday about it, and it's gotten a lot of attention as far as that positivity you've seen from Bender. I know a lot of people are kind of giving up on Dragon Bender already, even though Again, he's only three months. I think he's I think he's five weeks younger than Jonathan Isaac. So if that wants to tell you anything about that, he still has a long ways to go. But 
what's your thoughts on Dragon Bender and some of the, because obviously I really wasn't impressed at all in this first two games, but on Monday, you can see just like, if you give this guy more time, he's only 20 years old, give him more time. He looks like the ideal compliment for DeAndre in the front court. Yeah, that, that was the point of my piece is like, no, he really didn't look good in summer league. And I was rolling my eyes and, and, you know, I watched the game with the, the second game with Dave King from Brightside, even though he was credentialed, he came up and sat with us and a couple of fans. Um, and then Seth Pollock, who used to run Brightside of the Sun, was up there with us too. We were all equally dis- disappointed with Bender's performance. It's not as if I'm uh, driving this train that is coming from nowhere. I, I think my point with the piece was just to say that um, – He's like you're saying, he's, he's 20 years old. He's going to turn 21 in November. He played 491 minutes at Maccabi Tel Aviv the season before he got drafted. And that was his only top, uh, top team experience overseas prior to getting drafted. Um, and, you know, his, his rookie season, as Suns fans know, was basically a wash. Uh, his second season, he played all 82 games and shot 37% from three, showed flashes here and there as a playmaker. He almost had a a 10% assist rate, which is pretty solid for, by all intents and purposes, a rookie. And that shooting, uh, people have been clinging on 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 bright side, just saying, you know, and I didn't even know this, I didn't dive into that aspect of it for the piece, but he only shot 12 contested threes all year. And it's impossible to even really parse through that without looking at the film to understand why he didn't do that. I think, you know, with Devin Booker getting so much attention and TJ Warren the same way, they were ignoring Dragon Bender, but he's taking those shots and making them. So, um, I mean, I thought that the, the quotes McDonough gave during the broadcast and that Kukushkov game gave after the Sacramento game were pretty indicative. So I'll just read a uh, part of, of each of those quotes. So McDonough said about his his priorities for Bender entering this year, Quote, just to be aggressive. He shot the ball well last year from three. I think it's important to keep in mind he's still the second youngest player on our roster. He came into the league as basically a high school age player, and we told him, look, we don't care if you make mistakes. Just be aggressive. Attack the basket. If you turn the ball over, that's okay. He's got unique skills at his size, and we think in Igor's offense, he's going to be able to unlock some of those skills. And then Igor said, we know Dragon is a very good shooter. We want it to be something where he is very well respected in the league as a catch-and-shoot guy. He's going to prove that part. There's so many other areas of the game that he can help, especially when the three is falling. Defensive energy, length, size, helping guys who are late defensively, blocking a shot, second effort plays. I don't want him to be just a catch-and-shoot guy, but that should be his strength. I mean, what, what, what's? I'll let you talk, too. I mean, what's your read on him and, and just having seen the majority of his career so far? Like, am I just off in thinking that, He's basically the equivalent of if you drafted R.J. Barrett this year and wanted him to be good in two years. Or, well, I mean, he's not even really comparable either because he's R.J. Barrett even has played so much more against better competition, I would say, than Bender did heading into the NBA. I think just McDonough knew. I think, if I'm not mistaken, from his 2016 introductory press conference, I wasn't around for that, but I think there was a quote from McDonough that said, this is a long-term vision with Dragon Bender. It's not going to be a thing where we have two or three years and we're out on him. It seems like... They're in the long term with him. I know that. I know many a times last year we looked at each other during games and we're like, why, why isn't Bender driving here? Why is he just passing it off? But it seems like he knows his role and he just doesn't want to be like an aggressive guy because he knows he already has aggressive guys around him and Devin Booker, Josh Jackson. Now he got in DeAndre Ayton too. He knows his role and I think he 
he doesn't want to be more aggressive in that sense. He's going to have to get that drill into his mentality more. But he's a guy that's, that's smart enough that he knows his role and he doesn't have to do that much. That's why he's such a low-usage guy because he doesn't need the ball that much. Like you say, he's a catch-and-shoot guy. Realistically, if he has his shot going down, it looks better than it does so far in summer league, even though the percentages don't show that. But he could be a 40% guy shooting from three next year. And that's a, at seven foot one, that's ridiculous. That's like a, a really good archetype. Yeah, I mean, especially if you consider the defense. I mean, Channing Fry, he's not the shooter that Channing Fry is. And I, I do understand what people were saying. Channing Fry can take and make deep contested threes. Ryan Anderson, same way. The, the best floor spacing bigs in the league are much better than Dragon Bender is at this point in his career. But he's, again, 20. And the fact that he's already showing that he was an above average shooter in his basically his rookie season as a player. The, the games where he takes zero shots is unacceptable. You can't be doing that. He needs to get stronger. He's still, even against Summer League, against Jonathan Motley, against Dorian Finney-Smith, against Marvin Bagley, he can't finish at all. He hits the side of the backboard. He you know hits the top of the backboard, and it flails away. It's not pretty to watch him try to score against you know, doing anything but three-point shooting at this point. It's not as if he's a an ultra-valuable NBA player, but... This is pretty much what I think most people should have been expecting when he got drafted. If you had told me that he'd be showing defensive flashes, that he could, you know, and even in his rookie season, I remember a game against LaMarcus Aldridge where he blocked Aldridge's shot. He he was switching on defense against the Spurs. And to see that much from him defensively and have the shot coming along, I just think, you know, it's it's gross to see a a third-year summer league player be four of 13 from three, have some – just embarrassing turnovers, continue to be unaggressive. But the truth is that's just the kind of player he is. And, and, you know, growing from there is the key rather than asking him to be something that he's not probably ever going to be. I think that the team seems to know that, but, but fans, I think are, are upset about the fact that a number four overall pick has taken so long and doesn't appear to be, you know, who who was the, who was the number four pick this year? I'm sure it was a guy who's going to be much better scoring. Yeah, the ball Jackson. Than he is. Yeah, Jaron Jackson. Yeah, Jaron Jackson, exactly. You compare him to Jaron Jackson at Summer League, of course you're going to be disappointed, but it's just not really the way that, that it needs to be taken at this point. Exactly. I guess to that point, I guess we should ask, I'll, I'll ask myself and also you here, just like how important is the third season for Dragon Bender? Is it a make or break year? Because I know a lot of people are like, this is my last year on Bender Island. I'm serious. Like, if he's not good this year, I'm out. But what's your thoughts on his third year? Because it seems like it's very important, obviously, because if, if Igor Kokoshkov, here's the negative on Bender though. If Kokoshkov can drill into him aggressiveness, then I don't know if anyone else can. That's just my that's my devil's advocate take there because that seems like he needs he's seven foot one. He he's has add ten pounds of muscle mass on him, which looks legit. I don't know if it probably looks, it might look better in person than in TV, but that ten pounds looks legit on him. So, what do you think about just his aggressiveness? Because it seems like if Igor, like I said, if Igor can't get that into him, then I don't know if any coach can. No, you're right. I mean. Any good shooter, you want them to learn what to do off of closeouts. You want them to have more shot versatility. Bender's not a guy who's going to run off of a screen and take a on on the move three. He needs to fill out his game. And at seven one, you have to be able to score on the interior. I mean, I remember Tracy McGrady going crazy about that, watching the jump after the Utah series when uh, the Jazz got knocked out. 
and Gobert was he was frustrated that Gobert couldn't even attack a, a you know a switch a mismatch down in the post and create offense down there. And that's true for any big player. He's going to have to do it. And I agree with you. I didn't even mean to have that be a jazz thing with Kukushka's connection, but if he can't do it, I think. Well, and just considering that. If by the time Kokoschka is not around, if, if that's anytime soon, Bender will definitely have already needed to prove himself. But, I mean, McDonough also talked about that. I'll, I'll finish, I guess, with, with the quote he gave on the broadcast on uh, Friday, which was, Year three, especially for a young player, is an important year. It's a pivotal year. With Dragon, we are taking a longer lens. We knew that it would be a multi-year process when we drafted him, but he'll get an opportunity this year, and we think and hope he'll make the most of it. And he also mentioned after this season that, Third year, you know, after the third year, players are uh, able to be extended, and that's um, obviously into consideration. But not just that; the fact that they have to make a decision on his fourth year option as well—all that stuff is going to have to come into play with how crowded this roster is getting and how um, good a lot of the guys around him appear to be. Yeah, it's really interesting to see how it's going to go the rest of summer league and also the rest of the season for the Phoenix Suns because there's a lot of excitement around the Suns right now. Three and zero in summer league, they play. Tomorrow at 3.30 AZ time, Mikhail Burgess will be going up against Zaire Smith, Sixers versus Suns, so that's going to be a fun matchup to follow. I think they're going to have another game on Friday before we record again, but I appreciate you guys listening. We went a little bit longer on this 